church family. How is everybody doing? Um, this morning, our reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. You'll bring out your Bibles and go to chapter 4, Ephesians, verses 1 to 16. If you forgot your Bible or you just don't have one, please use the Bible in the pew. And that is on page 977, 977. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints to, for the work of ministry, to, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. Amen. This is the word of God. Good morning again, church family. Church, I, I just want to say I love you. I don't get the chance to say that to everyone all at once. So I'm given the opportunity to say that I, I, I truly love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you all for joining us online. Today we are continuing our series titled Exploring Christianity. And I hope you guys have been enjoying this series because I, I know I have. We've been looking at the church. We've been looking at 
Christianity and freedom, Christianity and identity, and it has been encouraging. It's always good to be reminded of who we are in Christ and, and what we believe and why we believe it. You see, if you're new to Christianity, this is a, it's a perfect series to jump right into. And, and I'm, glad, I'm glad you're here. See, this is, this is a series that we, can get, we get to figure out what is Christianity all about. So today's sermon is titled Christianity in Unity. So if you have a Bible, please turn it to the book of Ephesians. We are going to be in the book of Ephesians throughout this sermon. We might be flipping to chapter 1 and 2. And so be ready for that. How many of you guys have been uh, checking out the Olympics so far? You guys been checking it out? The Olympics is, is, is interesting to me because you, you take the best of the best from every nation, right? And they're training hard. They're practicing hard to show off their nation. You see, and, 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 they, and it's something that, that, is, that is unifying about it that we love, right? That we get to cheer on our nation. We get to cheer on who, who's the best in each sport, right? But it's also a sense of division there too, right? Because we're competing against other nations. And this is entertaining to us. We love it, right? And it's, and it's all for what? The purpose is for the gold. We want the gold to be brought to our nation. We, we want the glory to be for our nation. Right? And so, so, so unity, you see, I'm convinced that this is, this is not just a Christian idea. Like unity. Like we're, that unity is a, is a concept that we all believe in. We all believe in it. We're all familiar with the phrase of united we stand or divided we fall. If you have any sort of siblings, or if you, if you have raised kids, or have kids like me, you know that when you put sinful people together in a room, that's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? That's a recipe for division, right? I confess, I'll be honest, or my wife can attest to this too, my kids, they fight a lot. I mean, all the time, right? And, it, and it's about things that don't make sense to me, right? This is not important. Like, who's the fastest? Who's the strongest? Right? Who, who had it first? Who was here first? Right? Who, and, and it just doesn't make sense. Who, who's right and who's wrong? I'm sure that is in, if everyone in this building can testify, even online, that you have sensed some division within your own home. Right? And we're all aware of the division that we experience within our world, even within our nation. We have seen some fighting and bickering, haven't we? From the protests to our debates about racial issues to our comments on social media. Almost everything in our lives are used to try to segregate us, isn't it? To try to divide us. Through politics, religion, sports, our different styles, our different preferences. It seems like there's also no room for understanding, right? It's just my opinion, my thoughts, my ideas. My wants. Me, me, me. See, in the church, it seems like it's the same way, sadly. Our values, our methods, our own experiences in life found a way to segregate us. It makes you think, is, is unity even possible? Is this concept even possible? But in Christianity, guys, unity is not just a dream. It's not just pie in the sky. It's a reality. 
You see, it has been accomplished already. It has been achieved already. For those of us who are in Christ, we are a new creation. We are one new race, one new man, one new humanity. We are in Christ. You see, unity is God's biggest desire for us. We know this because Jesus prayed for it in John 17, right before he went to the cross. He prayed, God, I pray that they may be one, that they may be perfectly one. That was moments before he died. You see, our union with Christ is what makes our unity possible and what makes our unity a a reality for God's church. So lesson number one, see, our calling as Christians is to sit in our shared union with Christ. You see, every Christian has the same calling, and it's a unique one. You see, Paul spends the first three uh, uh, chapters of the book of Ephesians by, by describing to us this calling. He has described for us what it means to be in Christ, what it means to have our union with Christ, what makes us a Christian. You see, we think of our calling usually in individual terms. Like, I think God is calling me to ministry, or I think God is calling me to be a, a pastor. I think God is calling me to be a teacher. I think God is calling me a parent, right? We always see it individually, right? Like, what is God's will for my life? You see, this is not what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. This calling is a corporate calling. This calling is something that we share within this community, within this family, You see, our call is to become like Christ. The only way we become like Christ is being united to Christ. Jesus is our representative as a Christian. You see, first, Adam was our representative. Adam was the first man that was created, and he represented all of humanity. So when Adam ate from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, and sin entered him, guess where else sin entered? all of us. It was imputed to every single one of us. So if you're not in Christ, you are in Adam. That's why Jesus came to make one new man, one new race. It's in Christ. You see, Christianity is a call to understand that calling, to understand your union with him. You see, every Christian here today has experienced something that is out of this world. You have died with Jesus, and you have been resurrected with Jesus to his life, to new life. And that is good news. And that is news to rest in, to sit in. You see, more than a half a century ago, a pastor, he's a Chinese pastor, his name is Watchman E. He wrote this short book called Sit, Walk, Stand. And it's about the book of Ephesians. And inside this small book, he says that the process for us to to grow, to become like Christ, is that we have to sit first. We have to rest. So it's a position. We have to sit in our union with Christ. We have to sit in the very blessings of God. We have to rest in the fact that God loves us, that God has given us everything that we need plus so much more before we can get up and walk and obey, right? But... We, we, Pastor Andrew read it earlier. He said, we love because God first loved us. God loves you. 
When the last time you have the last time you embraced that? You see, before we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling, which is unity, we have to first sit and rest in what Christ has done for us, what Christ has given to us. See, this word sit is from Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says this. See, when we were raised up with him, God seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're seated in heaven right now. That's your reality, church. You see, church, we cannot make the mistake of pursuing unity without first knowing that we, what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 puts it this way. He says, every spiritual blessing, right? Read it with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing is yours right here, right now, church. We have every last one of them. And what we just read in Ephesians 2, 6, you are seated right now in heaven. When the last time have you sat and, and let that soak in? You're like, no, I'm, I'm sitting right here in church. Oh. You see, Christianity is, very, is a very is, is paradox, right? It's the already but not yet, right? You are already seated in the heavenly places. But guess what? It's not yet. One day you, when we get to glory, we get to experience it. You see, these spiritual blessings that Paul speaks of, they're not earthly blessings. They're not earthly. They're, they're not getting a new car or, or getting a new job or a new house or a better job, right? Because those things, we can lose those things, can we? We don't all share those all things in common, do we? But these spiritual blessings, we do share them all in common. You see, the spiritual blessings that Paul speaks of in these first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, they're far better, far greater than any physical blessing. Because guess what? They can sustain us. They can sustain us when we lose our job, when we get in a car accident, right? When our loved ones go on to be home with the Lord, they can sustain us. They're sustaining Paul. When Paul's writing this letter, he's in prison. These, these blessings are sustaining him. See, family, beloved family, you cannot be more blessed than you are right here, right now. This is good news, church, that God chose you. He chose you. Before you did, before you can do anything spectacular, God chose you. you. Before you were worthy of being chosen, he called you to himself. You see, God in his great love for you, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a life that you could never live, which was excellent and perfect. And he also took on the death that you deserve to forgive you of your sin. To make you holy and blameless before God. You see, while you are yet dead in your sins, in your trespasses, Christ died for you. To adopt you into his family, the family of God. So we all can become brothers and sisters because we're all in Christ. You see, it's by glorious grace. It's love that you don't deserve. It's not by your own merit. It's not by your own works. 
It's not because like the Olympics, like you're working hard and training hard to become the best. See, Jesus was the best for you. So you can receive all the blessings of God. And we share all these things in common. So we cannot no longer boast about our own abilities, about our own talent, right? We just sung it, right? No gifts, no talents, no wisdom. We cannot boast about those things. But guess what we can boast in? We can boast in our Savior. We can boast in his cross. We have been forgiven of all of our sin. We have been brought into a relationship with God and with each other. We have all been given the very promise of eternal life. That one day we will dwell in the kingdom of God. You see, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile. For he himself is our peace, verse 14 says. Who, chapter 2, verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You see, church, there's nothing that can divide us among being American or Nigerian or Filipino or Chinese, right? We, or any other nationality, because guess what? God has made us one. This is our core identity as the church. We are the church. It's not a building. It's the people that have the very spirit of God. That is who we are. We are family. We are no longer aliens or strangers. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We don't belong here. This earth is not our home. There's a, great, there's a funny story about a man who, who, who um, he wanted to get his shoes repaired, right? So he pulled up to the shoe stop, shop and, and there, the parking lot was empty. But he really wanted to get his shoe repaired. So he's like, let me just go up to the door and see if there's someone inside. So he opens up the door. He said, hey, you guys still open? He said, yep, come on in. He said, where's your car? Your car is not outside. He said, you see over there in the corner, those stairs? He says, I live up there. You see, just like that man in the shoe player, we, we live up there, church. We don't live down here. So that should reflect in everything that we do and say. That, that is what unites us. See, church, all of this is possible. You guys, all of this is possible because of our shared union with Christ. We share that union with him. This is every Christian's calling. This is our covenant promise. And we've been given it by our merciful God. Will you trust in your union with Christ? Will you sit in it? Will you rest in it? Will you trust it? As we learn together how to walk worthy of this calling. So this is it's a process. It's a process to walk worthy of this calling, isn't it? It's, it's sanctification. See, lesson number two is the way we walk worthy of our call is to be eager about maintaining our unity. You see, in point number one, we did a lot of resting, didn't we? We were, we were showered with the gospel, right? The very grace of God. Now it's time. Let's, let's learn how to walk this thing out, guys. Let's learn how to, how to maintain our unity, Right? 
I want, I want you to notice something in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Can you maintain something that you don't already have? See, Paul is telling us that we already have this unity. You know why? Because we are one new race. We are one new man. We are one humanity. We already have it, church. So Paul is then urging us. He's, he's urging the Christians in Ephesus. God is also urging us, church, to walk worthy of this calling. See, Paul paints a beautiful picture of what this unity looks like. Living in such a way that reveals that we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. It looks like unity. So how do we do it? How do we maintain this unity? Especially when the world is trying to separate us. Especially while the world is trying to divide us. It seeks to separate us by nation, by ethnicity, by age, by gender, by how much money you make. How much money you don't make? Which neighborhood you grew up in? You see, there are so many things that can be added to that list, can it? There's so many things that try to divide us. You see, these are the things that our enemy seeks to, to allow us to fight against each other. But these are the same walls that Jesus destroyed at the cross by making us one. You see, the, main, the way we maintain our unity is to make it a top priority in our lives and in our church. You see, we have to pursue it. We have to grow at it. We have to be able to, um, to work at it together, right? And, but, but maybe you're asking how. Get to the point. How? I'm glad you asked. Paul tells us. Take a look at verse 2. He says, with all humility, right? What it takes for us to maintain our unity is the very character of Jesus Christ. It's the character of Christ. It's the mind of Christ. It's the very life of Christ that is inside of us. See, Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility. What is humility? It's to be low. It's to be brought low. It's, it's to become a servant. Not just any servant, but a servant to all. See, Jesus demonstrated this while, while coming, leaving his home, leaving heaven, and coming down here to serve us. You see, Paul gives us a picture of what humility looks like in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 and 23. It says this. It says, for though I'm free, right? We just sung about this. We are free in Christ, aren't we? He says, for though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. It says, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law became as one under the law. They're not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So the question is, how are you using your freedom? How are you using your freedom in Christ, church? Are you using your freedom to be complacent? Are you using your freedom to get what you want? To be right? To be first? To win the argument? 
You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he shows us a better way to use our freedom, doesn't he? To use our calling. To use the very life that Jesus has entrusted us with. To put on humility. The humility of Christ. To become all things to all people. So the question is, how do you relate to those who are different from you? Can you actually say you become all things to all people? Or do you just become all things to the people that you agree with? That look like you, that talk like you, that dress like you, that watch the same sports team as you. Do, do you just become all things to those people? Or do you, do you take on a form of a servant and get to know someone that is different from you? To do life with someone that's different than you? You see, do you find it hard to relate to someone that's different from you? What about the married people in our church? Do you find it hard to relate to them? What about the single people? Can you empathize with the elderly of our church? With the young people, the young adults? You see, when you see, what about the young parents, right? You see, when you see my little children running around the church, right, do you, do you be quick to, to judge me and criticize me? Or do you empathize and say, wow, man, parenting is hard, isn't it? <laughs> church, there are so many different people and so many different ethnicities within our congregation. Just look around. And that's a gift. That is a blessing from God. There's so many people who, 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 who grew up differently, experienced life differently, can all come together and be united around something that is so beyond this world. Are you aware of that? that are you aware that we may experience life differently? And that's a good thing. But are you free enough in Christ? Are you mature enough in Christ to enter into someone else's journey? To enter in someone else's life with gentleness, right? Notice the word gentleness there. You see, to live in gentleness is to put other people first. You see, this is how Jesus lives every moment of his life. It's in gentleness. See, let me tell you what fake gentleness looks like. Fake gentleness is you avoiding conflict. It's you being passive. It's you, <clears throat> if you being, it's rooted in your own sense of comfort. Like, I'm comfortable right here. You see, true gentleness is rooted in strength, the very strength of Jesus. You see, the same word for gentleness is used in 1 Peter. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says this. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is inside of you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So that same word gentleness is used in the context of us going out to share our faith, going out to share about the hope that is inside of us, the hope of eternal life hope of love of, of God. See, gentleness is when you forget about yourself and, and your own self-interest and you're just concerned about the people in front of you, the people that are around you. See, Paul says, he, he also says this, 
Do it with all patience. Do it with all patience. Patience literally means to suffer long. Or if you're reading the King James Version, it's, it's long-suffering. It's, it's a word used to describe our trials that were placed on our life by someone else. You see, it's, it's, it's having a slowness to seek revenge. It's, it's God, it's, God is slow to anger, isn't he? He's patient with us, isn't he? He doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't crash down on us when we mess up and fail. You see, the opposite of patience is bitterness. It's resentment. Having a desire to get even. You hurt me, I'm going to get you back. You see, fake patience is, 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 is a sense of brushing it off. Like, you hurt me, but it's, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. See, God is calling us to, to, to a position in our life where we are in it for the long run. Right? Patience. A, a beautiful picture of patience is the story of Joseph. You guys know the story of Joseph, right? His dad bought him a colorful jacket. His brothers didn't like it. Throw him in a ditch to be sold. He sold to Potiphar, one of the commanders in Egypt. His wife, his wife falsely accused him of something, and he was drawn into prison. Thank God that he was able to interpret dreams, right? He got out of jail and became this, almost the second in command in Egypt. He saved Egypt from a great famine in the land. All throughout the world, and his brothers come back to him, doesn't he? They, they don't know that it's Joseph because Joseph became all things to all people, didn't he? He embraced that culture, didn't he? But he knew his brothers. And did he, did he get even with them? Did he pay them back? No. What did he do? He embraced them as family, didn't he? He, he set them around the table and ate with them and then revealed to them who he was. And chosen to forgive them. You see, that's the type of life that God has called us into, church. You see, when the gospel is so central to everything that we, we say and do, it changes the way we interact with other people, doesn't it? It changes the way we interact with other Christians. It changes the way we... We disagree with other people, doesn't it? This means you don't have to be easily offended or to be quick to offend others. You, you can, with the very love of Christ, you can speak the truth in love. Because when you do that, guys, guess what you're doing? You're maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the very bond of peace. Church, this is not pie in the sky. This is not a dream that is untainable. This is possible. See, our, our unity is nothing new. It's the very theme of our Christian lives. It's the very theme of the book of Ephesians. Take a look with me at, at verses 4 and 6 in chapter 4. It says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That is who we are. That's, that's the things that we have in common, church. I, I'm going to share with you guys a, a letter that a dear brother of mine from this church, Bryce Blackford, 
he sent me this letter last year, um, right around when there was a lot of racial tension in, in our world, right? When the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, young man who was jogging, and, and George Floyd. This brother didn't have to send this letter to me, but he, he decided to do it. And, and I'm sharing it because it's a, it's a great letter of, of the very character of Christ, the very mind of Christ. And um, I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read the intro and the conclusion. I did get his permission to do this. So he says, hey, Akin. That's me, by the way. He said, it's your brother Christ. It's your brother in Christ, Bryce. I wanted to send you a personal letter because I have been grieved and overwhelmed by what has been happening across our country. First and foremost, I want you to know that I love you. I care for you. And I'm here to support you and your family in any way that I can. Also, there is so much posted on social media and so much insecurity and simply posting, reposting, or liking something that I felt that a personal letter would be more effective than simply contributing to the white noise of social media. When has anyone actually changed their mind on an important issue by simply reading a Facebook post? Or felt comfort through a computer screen from a heart emoji? My intention is that this letter can offer you hope, camaraderie, and unity as we stand against injustice and face uncertain times. And then he concludes with this. He says, I am with you to stand and fight for racial unity. I would admit I may not know what, it, what that exactly looks like, but I do know that Christ has called us to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Romans 12, 9. Racism is evil. Superiority is evil. Selfishness is evil. But Jesus is good. Because of that, I will continue to study God's faithfulness, learn of his great love, and proclaim the good news of reconciliation between God and man. Once we know we are reconciled to our creator, we are reconciled man to man. I will keep telling and singing the good news of Jesus. I pray you will too. If you need anything, please let me know. A ear to listen, a shoulder to cry on. I'm here for you. I love you, brother. In Christ, Rice Blackford. You see, I, I share that because before Christ, I was, I was, I, I was just, I'm, I'm just a black man, a black boy who grew up listening to hip hop, who, who grew up in a black church, right? And now I, 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 I enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and my, my identity changes. And now I, now I have a relationship with a man who, who didn't grow up the same way as me. But we have so many things in common. We have so many things in common. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, with one God and Father who is over all and through all and who is in all. You see, I'm closer to Bryce than I am with my own biological brother who's not in Christ right now. And church, that's what unifies us. That's what God is calling us to do. See, let us be focused on what is most important. Church is God. Is there anything bigger than God? Is there anything bigger than our salvation? Then what's to be allowed to divide us? The question is, why should we do this? Why should we maintain our unity? We should maintain our unity because lesson three, Christian, Christian unity is an expression of the glory of God. See, take a look at verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, 
to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. You see, the goal of our unity, the very goal of Christianity, is obtaining to the fullness of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 23, Paul puts it this way. He describes what he says, he says, with his body, which is the church, it's the fullness of him who fills all in all. Then flip over to chapter 3, verse 19. He says this. He says, this is his prayer. He's praying. He says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So wait a minute, Paul. You just told us in chapter 1 that we, we, we all feel with the fullness of God. And, and now in chapter 3, you're, you're telling me that we are also obtaining to the fullness of God. So which one is it? It's both. It's both. You see, we are filled with Christ and we are obtaining to the fullness of Christ. And how are we obtaining to it? To go back to chapter 4. Verse 7, it says, By grace... But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, pay attention, church. I don't want you guys to miss this. See, God has gifted us with his spirit, right? And we all have spiritual, we all have gifts from the spirit. And those gifts are are to build up so we can obtain to the fullness of God. You see, in, in the next couple of verses, it's probably one of the most confusing verses in the book of Ephesians. I had a professor, actually, in college. He, 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 he interpreted the, the verses 8 through 10 in such a bizarre way. Um, let, me, let me read it for you. Um, he says this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He also descended as the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. See, my professor, he interpreted his verses by telling me that, that Jesus went to hell and, to, and then he went to paradise and he took those in paradise with him back up to heaven. Well, sounds like a pretty cool story, right? But, but I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get this. I don't get that from reading this within the context. So, so professor, if you're watching this, I, gent- I gently disagree with you. Okay. So, so real quick, what does it mean that Jesus ascended? Jesus ascended, that Paul said that it means that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth, right? So when Jesus descended, he left his kingdom, he left heaven, and he came down to earth to live a perfect life, right? Not only to live a perfect life, but to, but to serve us, right? To serve us by dying for us on the cross. See, he took on our sin to give us his perfect record, his perfect life. And then 40 days later, he ascended up into heaven. And then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that, that Jesus became a life-giving spirit. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, something amazing happens. He gives us his spirit, his life inside of us. See, if you're here today and you have not received Jesus, I want to urge you to receive him. He's your, he's your king. I want, you, I want you to receive him as your Lord, as your savior. And guess what happens when you do receive him? You get to receive his love, his grace, his glory, his life, 
and you are going to be filled with the fullness of God. You're going to be reconciled to the Father and to his church, the body of Christ. I hope you see the glory that you are invited into receiving today. And I pray that you would do that through faith. But church, if you're already, if you are already a part of this body, we are one. I hope you see the glory that you have been called into. See, verse 11 tells us this. It says this. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gave you the pastors of this church to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body, the church, so we can all obtain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the fullness of Jesus Christ. See, what does the measure of the, of the stature of the fullness of Christ look like? It looks like Jesus. See, God is in the business of making us just like him. That's the purpose of our unity. So obtaining to the fullness of Jesus Christ, it looks like us, church. It looks like our unity. It looks like our humility, our gentleness, our patience. It looks like the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. See, church, when we are living out our unity, we are imaging God. We are, we are representing him. We are revealing him to this world that is in, that is in deep darkness, that is in, that is in need of hope. You see, God is using our unity. That God wants to reveal his character to the world. Take a look at verse 15 and 16. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we all grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, Christ is both the goal and he's also the source of our growth. He's the end and the beginning of our maturity. See, God is using our unity, church, to sanctify us, to make us just like him. Pursuing unity is not a burden, church. It's a promise from God that we must claim. See, Jesus' life is our calling, and we must walk worthy of his life. Not because we have to, but we get to. We get to put his glory on full display and grow up in every way into him. You see, if a football team is unified, it does not mean that everyone is playing the same position. But it does mean that everyone is headed towards the same goal line. You see, when Pastor Andrew's orchestra is harmonizing, it's not because everyone is playing the same instrument. It's because everyone's playing the same song. You see, if Pastor Andrew's choir is playing a great harmony, it's not because everyone's singing the same part. Right? It's because they fit the part within the same song. You see, the goal, you see, it's the goal that produces the unity, isn't it? It's the goal. You see, unity is not sameness. Unity has to do with the same purpose. 
See, and our purpose is Jesus. Our purpose is to see him glorified in our hearts and in our world. Will you pray with me? God, you are the one Father, the one who is above all, who's in all, and who fills all. God, I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of what you're doing. God, I'm so grateful that to be a part of your church. I'm so grateful that we all don't look alike, that we all don't like the same things. But we have many things in common, don't we, God? We, we share the same Father. God, I look forward to the day when we're in your kingdom and there'll be no more strife. There'll be no more hostility. There'll be no more bickering and, and fighting and arguing. God, that we'll be truly unified, perfectly one. God, make that a reality for us today. God, help us to strive for this unity that we already have. Help us to pursue it with everything that we have. So that way we can put your glory on display. So the world will see that you are good, that you are merciful, that you are faithful. That you can bring people that, that on paper, these people should not be hanging out. These people should not be together. But guess what? We live up there. We are citizens of your kingdom. We are no longer strangers or aliens. We are children of God. And that is who we are now. God, help us to live in light of this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.